Welcome to the Florida Roundup. I'm Danny Rivero in Miami. And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Well, the state is leading the nation when it comes to increasing prices. While inflation appears to be cooling off across the United States, that isn't so much the case here in Florida. New data released this week show that the Miami-Fort Lauderdale West Palm Beach area had the highest inflation rate of all metro areas with a 9% inflation rate for the 12 months ended in April. In the, in the Tampa-St. Pete Clearwater area, the inflation rate hit 7.3% in the year that ended in May. Compare those rates for two major metropolitan areas here in Florida to the national average, according to the Consumer Price Index. And that national inflation rate now stands at 3%. Joining us now to talk about this is Sean Snaith, a PhD and director of the University of Central Florida's Institute for Economic Forecasting. Also joining us is Jim Saunders with the News Service of Florida and Gabriella Paul, who covers the paycheck to paycheck beat for WUSF Public Media. Sean, Jim, Gabriella, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. We also, we also want to hear from you. Are you paying more for food, housing and insurance? And how has the cost of living affected your life? You can give us a call. We're at 305-995-1800. That's 305-995-1800. Send us a tweet. We're at Florida Roundup. Sean, uh, Snaith, let me bring you into this conversation for a start. Americans in general are seeing some relief from inflation. The U.S. government reporting a 3% inflation rate nationally this week. The lowest it's been since 2021, but Florida is kind of an outlier here. And we heard some of those stats at the top of the show. 9% inflation for the Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach area for the year ended in April. Pretty high in Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater as well why is this well i think there, there are multiple factors that are sort of keeping inflation high uh in florida um uh you know one certainly is um population growth you know as we know florida had the fastest growing population uh, of any state in the country last year and so you know all that influx of, of new floridians uh you know creates demand across uh multiple sectors in the economy and, and you know, can contribute to uh, this increase in, in the cost of living. And so um, you, one of the big things, of course, is housing, mm -hmm. um, which is a problem that, uh, you know, the shortage of housing that really has its roots in the aftermath of the uh, housing bubble collapse in 2008, 2009, and builders were, um, a bit gun shy uh, after going through that, those that survived um, that that collapse in the housing market to sort of overextend or to or, or, or to build at a pace that really was justified uh, based on fundamentals uh, of, of housing demand. And mm -hmm. so pre-pandemic, you know, the shortage was in place. Uh, the pandemic and more importantly, pandemic uh, policies uh, really exacerbated this problem. It drove prices up uh, at a 20% plus per annum uh, clip mm -hmm. for a couple of years and just um, led to a, a series of events that made you know housing costs uh, rise significantly. And, and, and mm -hmm. a lot of these factors are still in place. Yeah. Um, 305-995-1800 is the number. We want to hear about how you're feeling inflation, whether it's housing, whether it's the cost of food, cost of transportation, other factors. Give us a call, 
995-1800. Sean, I wonder if you could talk a little more about some of the other factors that would skew our inflation stats in Florida. I mean, what about the cost of gas, cost of transportation, getting around, uh, things like that, and, and food as well? Right. Well, um, you know, gasoline uh, prices have come down significantly from their peaks. And I mean, this is more of a national global um, kind of market when you're talking about oil, natural gas, uh, gasoline. Um I think there was a mention in the in the lead up to the segment uh, about the housing insurance market. So, you yep. know, that factors into, you know, both housing prices and rent and, and so forth. And so that's something along with the shortage of housing that's, you know, can't be cured overnight or with a magic wand. Um, in terms of the cost of other uh, components of the consumer price index, um, you know, the labor market in Florida remains extremely tight. Um, you know, recent unemployment rates are uh, 2.6%, more than a percentage point lower than the national unemployment rate. So there has been and continues to be, you know, upward pressure on wages, which mm-hmm. feeds into the cost of, of, of some of these services because businesses, you know, are forced to pay uh, higher wages and some of those costs get passed along to Florida's consumer. Right, but those wages obviously aren't keeping up, keeping pace with the cost of housing and other things, right? Because even if those wages are going up, people are still struggling to make rent or you know put food on the table week to week. Absolutely, uh, and, and that you know that's been a national issue for two years. Um, well, wages and salaries have have gone up over that uh, time period. The cost of living. Uh, has increased more rapidly. And so uh, I think one of the consequences of that we see in these new record levels of credit card debt that consumers uh, are accumulating, I think people, you know, you're paying your rent, you're paying your your utilities. Um, You know, if you had to buy a car in the past couple of years, new or used, you probably have a much higher payment for that car than you would have just a few years ago. And so you get to the end of the month and you're paying all these uh, necessities and and you know ends aren't meeting and and I think mm-hmm. people are packing over the the hole in the finances in many in- instances by using credit card debt. Gabriella Paul with with WSF, you've done some reporting on people using increasingly using credit cards here in Florida to cover basic expenses as inflation has stayed stubbornly high here in Florida. Um, what have you heard from? Floridians in the Tampa Bay area about what they're doing. How are they keeping up with with these rising costs? Yes, definitely. So I speak to a lot of community members uh, every day about how they are being creative in their budgeting. And as expenses, like we've talked about, you know, grocery bills, maybe it's your monthly car payment, maybe it's, you know, it can be any number of climbing expenses. Um, How are they getting creative and bolstering their budget to to break even. And uh, a lot of people are telling me that, you know, they may have already depleted their savings accounts after some of these COVID era benefits ran out. And now they're having to turn to borrowing. And that's if a big if they've got the credit to uh, formally borrow from their bank um, or if they have a credit card that has a limit that will um, kind of get them out of this tight spot. I talked to a Uber uh, Eats driver, uh, more of a biker, an Uber Eats biker uh, in St. Petersburg, who took out a credit card for emergencies 
about a year ago, and now he says it's the only reason he can um, get by month to month. He's putting everything but rent because he can't put rent on his credit uh, card. He's putting that on credit, and he's having to put every earned dollar he makes toward uh, rent in St. Petersburg. Um, and that's that's a not a unique story from what I'm hearing on the ground. The number is 305-995-1800. Want to go to the phones. We have Tiffany calling from Jacksonville. Tiffany, thanks for calling. You're on the Florida Roundup. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Um, as a kind of solopreneur, I have a commercial and residential company here in Jacksonville. And we definitely, my husband and I, have felt the inflation come full circle for us to the tune that we've had to raise our rates. Um, just to be able to afford the cleaning supplies from our vendors. Um, the other part of that, and the reason why I say it comes full circle, is because we still have to manage our household. So groceries have gone up, which means I have to get really creative when I'm doing dinner um, or when I'm doing bids, you know, keeping in mind that a lot of the supplies that I bought a year ago or two years ago um, are like $10, $20 more now. So it affects us on two ends. It affects our personal finances and our business finances because of the inflation. And and Tiffany, is this impacting your life in other ways? Like, are you going out to eat as much as you used to? Or are you making those determinations? Oh, we because <laughs> we we try not to go out to eat. Um, things like like for example, we enjoy salmon, my husband and I. But maybe a year ago, I wouldn't have mind sitting in a restaurant. And he and I and paying, you know, nineteen ninety nine for or twenty or whatever it was. And now we go that same meal has went up, you know, considerably. And so now we just will go to our local grocery store and we don't. We typically if we do eat out, um, the about the only thing that my husband and I really will do is we'll do a dessert. We opt to do dessert. So we may stop for ice cream as opposed to doing an entire meal because it does affect um, my grocery bill and my grocery budget if we do that even once a week. So we typically, just for the sake of having a date night or something where we can connect and do something together, we just maybe will go and have ice cream because it's cheaper. Right. Thank you so much for the for the call, Tiffany. Uh, Jim Saunders with New Service of Florida. I want to bring you in. Um, when we look at the stubborn inflation rates here in Florida, a big part of it is the housing insurance market. And the states passed a couple of bills and laws in the past few years trying to get the market down. Um, but it's a persistent problem. We had just this week another insurance company, Farmers Insurance, announced that it's leaving the state, leaving thousands of policy holders in, in the lurch. Um, Governor DeSantis has responded sounding a hopeful note during a recent radio interview with Howard Carr I want to listen to right now. I think what's going to happen is because we did those reforms, it now is more economical for companies to come in. I think they're going to wait through this hurricane season, and then I think they're going to be willing to to deploy uh, more capital to Florida. Jim, can can you help put this in context for us with the the, the housing insurance market? Um, what are homeowners, you know, caught up in this with their insurance company leaving the state? What, what are they going to do in the meantime looking for coverage there? Well, the farmer's uh, decision is just kind of the the latest. And I mean, this has been building over the past three years. And anybody who has a mortgage knows probably that they're 
they've faced significant rate increases if they've been able to keep their their coverage. So um, this is something that's been building and obviously farmers uh, deciding to leave the state, not only with property, but also with uh, with auto insurance this week, you know, really got a lot of attention, uh, but it's really just part of a, of a larger trend. You know, the legislature had special sessions, uh, two special sessions last year to pass uh, bills to try to kind of shore up the insurance industry. But even the most optimistic legislators and, you know, and other and industry people say it'll take a couple of years for that to filter through the through the system. So, you know, it doesn't look like relief is going to be uh on the way real soon, if ever. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, so we see citizens' property insurance, the state, uh, the state's uh, insurer of last resort has just exploded in numbers of policies. It has more than 1.3 million policies right now. And the president and CEO said this week that it's going to 1.7 million policies by the end of the year. And that is an indication that the private market has basically uh, sort of crumbled and mm -hmm. uh, people are turning to citizens because A, they can't get coverage elsewhere or B, it's so expensive elsewhere that it's cheaper to go to citizens. Right. A lot of issues there. And of course, we've heard from DeSantis and other state leaders that uh, citizens is kind of oversubscribed at this moment and, and undercapitalized. So concerns about the, the amount of weight in terms of insured folks that citizens is carrying. Let's get a call in here from Ryan in Sunrise. Uh, Ryan, you're on the air. Well, thank you. Uh, pleasure to be on. I, I can relate to the house insurance issue. I asked my insurance broker this year to look around and try to find me a better rate because it mm. had gone up so much, and I was almost laughed off the call. Um, uh, he recommended uh, sit where you are and don't switch rate. Mm. Um, don't switch insurers because they'll come out and... In and, and inspect your home and and just you know just just take what they're delivering to you and you can't do anything about it i i i don't want to sound despondent but there are there are a few parts of this economy that aren't hurting the residents um mm -hmm. and i don't understand why the policymakers aren't seeing it uh, yeah. insurance is bad uh, the lack of cost of living increases uh for for employees um uh, you know uh, wages not keeping up with inflation, uh, even mm. last year or the year before. Um, just, I, I don't want to leave the area. I moved here for 23 years ago for a reason because I like mm -hmm. I like the climate, but um, it's just yeah, really it's, hard it's, to live here. It's tough out there, Ryan. Appreciate your call. Uh, Sean Snaithwick, I'd bring you back into this. I mean, folks like Ryan, they're painting a pretty bleak picture of the economy. Is there some good news, though? I mean, what are you seeing on the positive side? Or how should folks be trying to address, folks who can kind of pull some levers of power, address concerns of people like Ryan about homeowners insurance, cost of living wages, et cetera? Right. Um, well, you know, I, I mean, think, I think in the broadest uh, picture, um, you know, Florida's economy remains very strong. Uh, you know, the labor market, as we mentioned earlier, incredibly low unemployment rates, um, you know, Wage growth, yes, it hasn't uh, hasn't kept up with inflation, but you know we are seeing some downward trends in inflation overall. But um, you know this this legislation uh, is going to take time. Uh, I, I think, uh, as, as uh, the others have said, um, to impact 
premiums. Um, you know, both both uh, automotive and homeowners insurance in Florida are among the highest in the country, and you know, a big part of driving that. I mean, obviously, you know, we have hurricanes here uh, that you don't have in in, in uh, you know uh, Michigan, mm-hmm. but um, the legis or the legal environment uh, has really been behind. Um, what we're seeing happening. Uh, I saw a statistic that Florida um, accounts for about 9% of all homeowners insurance claims in the country, but 79% of um, legal action against homeowners insurance. So that's incredibly uh, out of whack. And that in turn drives up premiums because these companies have to bear all this legal costs and it gets passed along, you know, to, to you and I. Yeah. On the flip side of that, though, I don't think that was one of the factors that farmers mentioned in their note about why they're leaving. It's more about kind of managing risk exposure. Uh, just in the last minute or so before we have to go to a break, Jim Saunders, uh, what about sort of policies to try and address some of these concerns, uh, other things, whether it's homeowners insurance or, you know, other issues to try and kind of get a handle on inflation? What do we see during the session? What could we see coming down the pike? Well, in addition to the legislation that's passed on homeowners insurance, uh, one of the big things that was a priority of this year's legislative session was uh, to pass a, a bill to to try to deal with some affordable housing or workforce housing issues. It was a priority of the Senate president. I mean, they're putting more than $700 million into this program. Um, it, it involves a lot of incentives and credits and so on for for developers to essentially try to increase the stock of workforce housing. Again, though, I think it's one of those things that's going to take time to see if it, how it plays out. Um, you know, projects take time, even if even if what they are saying is uh, that it does come to pass, that this helps uh, improve the housing stock and, and make it more affordable, it's just going to take time to play out. So um, that was another big priority this year. Um, but, you know, the sort of the double whammy of these housing issues is really, really hitting people, I think. Yeah, uh, we're going to discuss more of this uh, as we continue on with the discussion here on the Florida Roundup. We've been speaking with Jim Saunders with the new service of Florida. Jim, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And also joining us this hour, Sean Snaith, director of the University of Florida's Institute for Economic Forca- Forecasting. Sean, thank you, too. My pleasure. Gabriella Paul from WUSF, stay with us as we continue the conversation about inflation and its impact on Floridians. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. And I'm Danny Rivero in Miami. And right now we're continuing our conversation about how Florida is struggling with the highest inflation in the country. But we'll turn our attention now to how folks are coping with these cost of living increases in their daily lives. Cassandra Tatum is a single mom of two and a longtime public school teacher living in Tampa. She's one of many Floridians who are finding it hard to afford groceries. There's no extra expenses in any way. I've cut every single corner. I've even reached out to my financial advisor, seeing if there's anything else I could possibly cut, um, and there wasn't. Cassandra spoke with Gabriella Paul, who covers the paycheck-to-paycheck beat for WUSF Public Media, and 
Gabriella is staying with us now in the studio in Tampa. Also, we want to welcome to the conversation AARP Florida State Director Jeff Johnson. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is a really critical topic. Thank you. And you can call us. We want to hear from you about how you're weathering this inflation storm at 305-995-1800. And you can tweet us at Florida Roundup. Um, Gabriella, just to, to follow up with you, um, one impact of the housing stress in particular is people getting evicted from their homes, people who can't afford to pay the rent in many cases. Can, can you give us a sense of what the current trends with evictions are in Florida, what you're hearing from people in this predicament? Yes, definitely. So eviction, uh, particularly in the Tampa Bay region, which is what I can really speak to, is really the story of you know, not the group of people that's living paycheck to paycheck anymore. It's what happens when you don't have a paycheck um, and the fallout of that or when you fall behind um, on one monthly payment. Um, and what I'm hearing and what I'm learning uh, in the Tampa Bay region in particular is that majority of people are that one crisis away um, from from a financial emergency like eviction or that can lead to eviction. And so what we know is that uh, after a lot of this COVID era relief uh, expired, so that's things like child tax credits, that's things like rental assistance, um, we're seeing a rebound in the rate of evictions and within that, the rate of homelessness. Um, because in the past, if you faced an eviction, you may have been able to get on your feet a little bit faster. But for those that, like we talked about a little bit earlier in the hour, have maybe racked up a few thousand dollars in credit card debt to stay afloat or have had to take out a loan that has a high interest rate, um, or you've taken up a few jobs now and you don't have a whole lot of expendable time, uh, there's less of a safety net for a lot of people right now. And you can call us at 305-995-1800. I want to go to the phones now. We have Jackie calling from Santa Rosa Beach. Jackie, you're, you're on the line. Yeah. Um, so I retired in uh, 2021 and was anticipating the increase in homeowners insurance. Actually, um, in early 2022, I received a letter because of the age of my home, regardless of all the improvements I made, impact, et cetera, um, that I was being canceled. And then subsequently, um, I made the decision to sell. It was going to be in my retirement home. Uh, the good news is that the, the, the real estate market was uh, such that I was able to purchase another home, and but I had to move inland pretty far to be able to do that um, and to be able to afford the insurance. The broker told me it was going to go from 4000 in 2021 to almost 20000 which wasn't sustainable, especially in retirement. So one of the questions I have is, you know, I've read a little bit about what the legislature and the governor supposedly have done, um, but I'm not sure how that affects and will positively impact the citizens of the state of Florida. Any insight on that? Th thank you so much for the call, Jackie. Um, Jeff Johnson with AARP. Um, do, do you have any response to, to what Jackie's talking about? I mean, obviously, this high inflation rates, high cost of home insurance is impacting many elderly members of your organization. Um, yeah, for sure. And and I, I have to say, uh, Danny, the uh, the guest you had on before, Sean Snaith, has all the economics degrees. My degree is in divinity, and I think a lot of people are turned into prayer at this point, which is not necessarily the, the best solution for financial struggles. 
But the the situation that your caller just outlined is one that people across Florida are dealing with on the property insurance side as well as just on the housing side. I mean, we hear a lot from retirees, people who retired here, who are in communities who have raised their their homeowners association fees significantly or who are in senior apartments where the rent has gone up significantly. We've heard from service providers who are telling us that they're seeing a new kind of class or new era of of homelessness from elders who no longer have a place to go, a place to live, not necessarily because of the challenges that uh, your reporter cited earlier, but just because the the place where they live raised their rent so much and they, they don't have a place to turn. So huge concerns. Agree with uh, with Jim Saunders from before the break that so the changes on the uh, law around affordable housing are ones that we are optimistic will help in the long run, but they're not a lot of help right now. And I think a, a lot of people, when they think about Florida and retirees, think of people who are really comfortable. But it's worth remembering that for about a quarter of the people 65 and over here in Florida, their Social Security payment is or benefit is 90% of their income. And for about half of Floridians 65 and over, it, it's still the majority of their income is that Social Security benefit, which was never really meant to provide for a full retirement. It was really just uh, focused on trying to keep people out of elder poverty and with inflation at the rates that it has been across the country, but especially here in Florida, it has really pushed people to the limit. So we've seen people go back to work if they can. We've seen people uh, try to find ways to share housing. So not just like the uh, the vacation rental type market, but really trying to bring in roommates or, or people uh, for co-housing. And we've seen communities trying to respond by making it easier for people to build accessory dwelling units. So like uh, garage apartments, if you wanna think of uh, uh, an example where they can generate a little bit of extra income by renting out space on their lot for uh, for somebody else to to find housing. And and Jeff, uh, social security benefits, as you mentioned, um, you know, a lot of retirees depend on that here in Florida. the 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 social security benefits were increased eight point seven percent this year for millions of residents here in Florida. Has has that helped at all? And do we know if benefits will continue going up and at what rate in the coming year? Yeah, it's a good question. And the, and the Social Security benefit uh, cost of living adjustment happens each year based on inflation rates, national inflation rates, and inflation rates that are uh, geared towards the CPI for, for workers, which is sometimes not fully reflective of what uh, retirees necessarily are paying money for. It does help a little bit. Uh, but the average benefit is about $1,500 a month for a retired worker. So again, these are not huge, huge benefits. Uh, an 8% increase is welcome, but I know we heard from many people who said that their healthcare costs um, went up almost in lockstep. And so it was almost a wash or, the, or they made significantly less of a gain than you would expect from that number. Uh, most retirees will say that in addition to housing and you know things like groceries, that healthcare costs ends up end up being their most expensive, even with the Medicare program. And and while we have seen changes at the federal level and efforts at the state level to try to lower healthcare costs, particularly around prescription drugs, the reality is uh, for many people those Social Security benefit cost of living adjustments do get eaten up by increased healthcare costs. Right, healthcare, a big part of the picture there. Uh, 305-995-1800 is the number if you're a retiree or just a 
even if you're not, you're struggling with the everyday cost, we want to hear from you. 305-995-1800. With us in the studio, Gabrielle Paul, who covers the Paycheck to Paycheck Beat. A lot of kind of questions coming in, folks worried about the cost of housing and those stresses. What else are you seeing, Gabriella? Yeah, um, just with fixed income top of mind coming off that conversation, you know, another part of that is the long-term care conversation. So that still mm-hmm. falls within uh, housing costs that are becoming more and more unattainable for a lot of Americans. Um, you know, I was just looking at a statistic recently that said eight in 10 Americans are unprepared to cover the cost of long-term care. And so what ends up happening is- um, that's, a, that's a lot, that's that, a frightening stat. That is, yes, frightening statistic. And what's even more frightening is how that can have a generational kind of cyclical impact. Um, a lot of times, you know, we talk about the sandwich generation. So those households with parents, um, with children that also are having to maybe pull out of their own savings or their own retirement funds to help caregive and support for uh, aging adults. And that's a lot of times not because of a lack of planning um, on the side of uh, aging adults, but because the cost of long-term care of places like, you know, nursing facilities, assisted living um homes are also climbing at alarming rates as we're seeing um, residential apartments climbing. So so that's something um, on the horizon that uh, there's not necessarily a solution for yet, but um, just spreading awareness and, and finding ways to, uh, you know, creating better safety nets and, and, you know, growing those retirement funds is something that is uh, top of mind for a lot of experts in that uh, elder care space. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Stephen in Wellington. Uh, Stephen, I understand you're a retiree. What's on your mind? I, I am. I've been retired for 10 years. By the way, you've just mentioned uh, elder care. Uh, my wife and I have had uh, the insurance for uh, long-term care upon retirement. The mm-hmm. cost has gone up so much. And the amount that is covered has gone down so significantly that it's almost not worth keeping it and paying the amount that the insurance company is asking, uh, which is not, by the way, the reason I called. But uh, something has to be done about long-term care in our society. I did call to mention uh, that our homeowner's insurance in the last two years has gone up by $7,000. And our insurance agent told us we were lucky to get it. Uh, and uh, so we're, we're paying it. Uh, it is my impression, the impression of an awful lot of people in this state and people who I know and with whom I work, uh, that uh, the governor is more interested in running for president and our state legislature is more interested in what we teach and, and uh, what we say and uh, how we live our lives than they are in the way we, in the way our, our, in our ability to continue to live in the state. Uh, Eventually, we'll have to leave here. It's just mm. not worth it with the hurricanes and everything else that everyone worries about and the cost of uh, insuring our home. It's just absolutely insane, and our state government couldn't care less. Stephen, just before I let you go, are you thinking, are you making definite plans to exit Florida? Uh, well, we're, we're thinking about right now possibly uh, purchasing a uh, Peter Tear up north and possi- mm. possibly moving into it nearer our children uh this is no place for retirees uh it's it's especially with a state government which offers so little for uh, for for the inhabitants of the state hmm. no place for retirees uh, Stephen, thank you so much uh, that's a, a bit of an indictment there uh jeff johnson with the aarp your thoughts i mean there are still a lot of folks who want to move here 
but some challenges there clearly. There are. We do continue to grow with with new folks moving down. Uh, I will say, um, and I think the the point that your caller raised is a really good one. And and thinking back in time, the last time there was. A, a spate of hurricanes in the early 2000s, we saw this. We saw a lot of people who retired to Florida end up moving. In many cases, they didn't go all the way back up north if they had come from the north, but they can't. They would go to Tennessee or North Carolina, those kinds of places, um, mm-hmm. because of the cost of property insurance. I, wanna, I do want to hit on Gabriello's uh, really, really good point about long-term care and and how we pay for that. The reality is it is exorbitantly expensive to pay out of pocket for a nursing home or assisted living facilities. And so it is family members who provide the bulk of care and and family members, and I'm sure some of your callers among them will tell you that it's not only taking time away from the rest of their family and time away from work and, and earning money, it's also money out of pocket. I think that the last uh, survey we did showed that caregivers spend about $7,000 a year just out of pocket to provide help for aging parents in most cases who they're caring for. And and we've raised at the, at the federal level that tax credits that we think about for caregiving, we often think about for childcare, which is wonderful, but we ought not to forget those who are paying money to take care of aging parents and keep them independent and out of nursing homes where they end up being paid for by taxpayers through Medicaid. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Gabby, I wanna come back to you. Um, Governor DeSantis recently signed a law that overrode a lot of local protections for renters in places like Miami-Dade County and Pinellas County in the Tampa Bay area. Um, is, is the loss of those tenant protections in, in some parts of the state impacting people who are renting in this context of exploding rent prices? Yes. So we're really, I don't know that renters are really um, feeling the impact yet besides just a general fear of the impending rescinding of these protections. So to kind of lay out the landscape, this was House Bill 1417 dubbed residential tenancies and essentially it repealed any local regulations that cities or counties may have um, put on the books that relate to tenant landlord relationships. So that's a lot of jargon. What that really looks like in real time is, um, for example, in Pinellas County, they had uh, drafted something called the Tenant Bill of Rights, and that was uh, certain protections for Pinellas County residents, um, things like a ban against source of income discrimination, so helping renters make sure they could use their uh, Section 8 housing vouchers, for example, or their rental assistance uh, without pushback from landlords. So it's hyper-local regulations that were designed to meet the needs of uh, local renters based on what um, what lawmakers saw, or not lawmakers, sorry, um, what officials saw happening in their own communities. So essentially July 1st, when this residential tenancies uh, bill became law, everything that was on the books that related to tenants and landlords got uh, repealed. So right now, a lot of these local governments are going through the formal process of removing these ordinances from their books. And with that, uh, this month, we'll hear from citizens during some public hearings. Um, but right now, it's it's just kind of a a you know a lack of of movement. It's just community organizers um, kind of voicing the fear of you know what might happen 
without these protections there. And it's a little bit of re-strategizing on the front of uh, tenant advocates. And Jeff, uh, we, we don't have too long to go. Any any last thoughts on where this leaves Florida, where where we're we're at, where we're headed right now? I think I, I guess I'd say I think that these are uh, this is part of a cycle, but it is something that the the callers and and the experts that you've had on hit. Uh, we have to figure out the property insurance piece um, because that has been significantly out of scope of what people can afford, as some of your early callers said. I guess the only thing I can offer in terms of hope is not so much hope, but controlling what you can control. There are lots of ways to save money. They almost all involve time, um, but there are resources in the community, resources online. They won't necessarily manage those big uh, ticket items like your rent and your homeowner's insurance, but to be able to manage some of the other things like groceries and gas and healthcare and saving the money you can um, will hopefully get us by until inflation um, becomes more Got realistic it. again. Got it. We've been speaking with Jeff Johnson, Florida State Director of the AARP, and Gabriella Paul, who covers the Paycheck to Paycheck beat for WDUSF Public Media. Uh, thank you both for joining us. We'll be back in a few minutes talking about the hot waters in our coral reefs. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup. I'm Danny Rivero in Miami. And I'm Matthew Petty in Tampa. Florida's coral reefs are in hot water, literally. While we've been sweating through a blistering heat wave on land, ocean temperatures around Everglades National Park are also about 10 degrees above normal for this time of year. The sea surface temperature in the shallow water of Garfield Bight hit 98.1 degrees for a couple hours this week. Scientists say the marine heat wave is totally extreme. And they're watching with alarm to see what impact these unprecedented ocean temperatures have on our coral reefs, a huge source of tourism and other vulnerable e underwater ecosystems in Florida. Well, joining us with more is Jack Prater, who covers climate and Tampa Bay's beautiful beaches as well for the Tampa Bay Times. Jack, thanks so much for being here. Nice to have you along. Hi, Matthew and Danny. Thanks so much for, for having me on. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Great. And you can call us as well, 305-995-1800. If you've been out in the ocean lately, what are you seeing? Maybe if you've got a little more in-depth insights into it, love to hear from you as well. If you're taking a dip around the Florida Everglades or the Keys, tell us what it's like, 305-995-1800. You can also send us a tweet. We're at Florida Roundup. Well, Jack, uh, what happens to coral when the waters get too warm, and why are scientists so alarmed about what's happening with the water temperatures now in July? Sure, yeah. So high water temperatures like we're seeing now and we often see in the summertime in Florida are ripe conditions excuse me, for coral bleaching. Uh, and so corals have a, a symbiotic relationship with algae that uh, produce their food. Um, and these high temperatures or high water temperatures that we see actually force corals to expel their algae. And that's why you see them turn white and this uh, blanched white. Uh, and that's, that's coral bleaching. Um, but mm -hmm. it's not a death sentence, um, as numerous scientists have reminded me, uh, but it, it does carry a very increased risk of starvation uh, and susceptibility to, to diseases for these coral. Hmm. Um, so so a, bleached are, coral, a bleached coral isn't a dead coral, it's just a sick coral. Exactly, yeah. And these, these corals live for hundreds of years. Um, so recovery of, of recovering 
bleached coral, uh, it, it can take years and, and decades for them to recover from this. But you're right, it, it doesn't mean that they're going to die off immediately. Uh, it just severely weakens them. Hmm. So obviously the heat wave is having an impact on the ocean temperatures, but there are some other factors that you wrote about in your reporting for the Tampa Bay Times as well. Aside from the heat, what else is causing the spike in the water temperatures in the ocean around South Florida? And I, I guess what is it that's kind of not allowing those oceans to cool down like they normally would? Sure. So scientists are, are mostly concerned for, for how early in the season that we're, that we're seeing these high temperatures. Usually we see this kind of heat, or maybe not this kind of heat, because it is unprecedented um, from what scientists are saying. Uh, we usually see extreme heat in later August. So the question is, if it's this hot right now, uh, how much how much worse could it get? And one of the, the biggest factors in that heat um, is, is that it's uh is that uh, ocean temperatures or ocean waters are, are really still right now around florida mm -hmm. so when we see winds or weather events that that kick up the water uh, and sort of stir it uh that that actually cools off ocean temperatures but we're seeing really flat waters in the gulf uh and off of florida's waters and that means that the sun is sun rays are and heat are being trapped on that flat still water uh, by the oceans and, and and being trapped and that's why we're we're seeing these these hotter temperatures and uh another factor i'll just point out is the the cool ocean breeze that we usually get is not cool it's actually blowing hot water hot air on us here in florida um you know i i, I do want to mention i i mentioned at the top of this that coral reefs are a huge source of tourism people going to, to snorkel and scuba dive and whatnot but corals are also very important to the overall health of, of the oceans. Um, Jack, can, can you tell us a little bit about what else could happen if, you know, these corals get sick and very sick? And if if we do see a die off, like what a lot of scientists really fear? Yeah, sure. So corals make up just 1% of the marine ecosystem, but they provide habitat and, and support for about a quarter of marine life. And so these are sport fish habitats uh, and fisheries that we, where we get our, our fish that we eat. Um, coral reefs also protect coastlines from storms and erosion and things like that. Uh, one researcher who I was talking to gave a, a really good analogy and uh, compared coral reefs and corals to sort of trees in a forest. And, and coral die-off is, is sort of like the deforestation uh, of the ocean. Um, but you're right, they, they do contribute to, to billions in, in tours of money. Uh, and, and over the last 40 years, the Florida Keys have lost about nearly 90% of, of the reef system. Which means less fish for the fisheries and, and right. local fishermen too, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. The The number to call us here is 305-995-1800. Again, that's 305-995-1800. Uh, Jack, I, I want to ask, I mean, there are current efforts underway to restore Florida's coral reefs. What is this historic heat wave that the ocean around us is, is facing right now? What does that mean for these restoration efforts? Do we know? Sure. So researchers say that this heat wave really has potential to, to hamper restoration efforts. Uh, it's right around now in the summertime where restoration groups and scientists are coming out and and planning 
and baby corals and, and larvae out on the reef. Um, but if they're planted in water that are this hot, uh, scientists are saying that they they could be killed, you know, within within weeks of being deposited. Uh, and you know, some of the more short term and and small scale solutions that we've seen to this are shading reefs uh, from the heat uh, from the sun's heat, um, or even dumping cooler water to, to help cool off the, the surrounding waters in reef systems. Um, and when I heard about this, that it really reminded me of manatee feeding that the FWC was doing a couple of years ago with our seagrass die-offs. And it's really another example of the, the human intervention um, that we often have to resort to when trying to conserve species. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. And Jack, I mean, one thing we haven't talked about, so... A, a whole lot is hot waters fuel for hurricanes and tropical storms. I and mean, we're not facing an immediate threat from any storm right now, but what do we know about what it could mean if the temperatures stay around where they are now and we do see a storm coming at us? Right. Yeah. We actually saw researchers sort of reverse course on their hurricane forecast this year. Uh, earlier in the season, it was forecasted that we would have a below average hurricane season. And this hot water in the last few weeks have actually bumped that up to a likelihood that we'll, we'll see a more active hurricane season. Um, and, you know, so much could, could change, um, especially with how this affects coral reefs as well. You know, a hurricane could, could blow through an area and, and cool off waters, but that same hurricane could also, you know, damage a reef. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what's going on with, with hurricanes, um, we're in an El Nino year, which, you know, typically has a lower chance for hurricanes. Um, but again, that that this marine heat is is causing a lot of scientists to sort of backtrack on predictions for the season. Three oh five nine nine five eighteen hundred is the number to call. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you're experiencing the heat in the oceans if you're used to fishing or getting out and recreating in the water, what are you seeing, what are you feeling? 305-995-1800. We're with Jack Prater, who covers uh, climate and the beaches for uh, the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, let's get a call in here. Let's go to John in Tampa. Uh, John, you're on the air. Yeah, I've lived in Florida all my life. I'm about fifth generation in Florida, and usually in July it's hot. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone's complaining about hot, and uh, I just heard this gentleman's complaining about the ocean being flat right now. Uh, when the hurricane starts, everyone complains about the hurricane being bad. And, and Florida Roundup is constantly bad news. Can you ever give some good news for a change instead of complaining all the time? John, okay, thanks for your call. I, I wonder if we can kind of turn that back to the the corals there. I mean, uh, Jack, is there some good news in the uh, in the terms of you know what we're seeing here, uh, obviously a lot of alarm, but are there some kind of signs of of uh, relief or maybe some positivity uh, there in terms of people who are trying to protect these reefs? Yeah, of course, that was something that you know scientists pressed upon me numerous times in in our interviews that you know this isn't all all doom and gloom. Uh, recent research has actually shown that some species of coral can survive in, in hotter temperatures than than we'd previously thought. Um, and mm-hmm. in conditions that are optimal and a little cooler, researchers have actually seen a bounce back locally um, in some reefs. So what was pressed upon me a lot was, you know, these these coral reef systems are important and they're important to our way of life. They're important to our ecosystems. Uh, 
and they're they're just too important to give up on. So. Mm. We've only got about a minute here left, but I just want to uh, get a tweet in here from somebody at Florida Butterfly 7. I fear we're witnessing an inflection point uh, in the uh, in environmental uh, so- societal collapse, uh, climate change rather, and it may be much closer than people would care to admit that many global indicators this summer are terrifying. Just in the last few seconds here, Jack, I mean, there is a bigger picture here, right? What are you thinking in terms of how climate factors into the warm ocean temperatures? Sure. So I touched on the El Nino, which is a natural weather event we see every two to seven years. Um, That's normal. What isn't normal are extreme temperature fluctuations. So hotter hots like we're seeing now in the ocean, but also colder colds and colder nights in the winter. Yeah. Right. So uh, a lot of kind of factors to to think about there. Um, how, how in, in the last few seconds too, Jack, I mean, uh, are, you, are you going to be covering more of this as these temperatures continue? What's your kind of beat looking like for the next few weeks? Yeah. So this again, we're super early in the season. Um, the Keys have a have a hurric- have a excuse me, a coral bleaching alert level mm-hmm. one, um, and that's expected to grow. Uh, across right. the, the state's waters, so we're really going to be we, we, keeping we'll, an eye on that. Um, hopefully, yeah. sorry, we 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 got to go there. That's our program for today. The Florida Roundups produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Heather Schatz and Bridget O'Brien are the producers. WLRN's Vice President of Radio and our Technical Director is Peter Mertz. Engineering help from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, Jackson Harp, and Brady Corum. Our theme music provided by Miami jazz guitarist Aaron Lebos at AaronLebos.com. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for calling in and listening.